You're listening to the Good Samaritan Anglican Church Podcast. The following sermon was recorded on February 9th, 2020, the fifth Sunday of Epiphany. A reading from the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law, until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments, and teaches others to do the same, will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven." But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Have you ever heard someone described as salt of the earth? It's a a phrase, an idiom that we, we use a lot, and it It means, according to the dictionary, a person of great kindness, reliability, or honesty. And this describes many of the scouts. This is sort of the the legacy of scouting in America, is helping to form boys and now girls as well uh, to be the kind of people who are salt of the earth, people who are kind, reliable, and honest. And you can see evidence of this in the scout law, in the scout oath, Uh, And perhaps also the the scout slogan, which says, do a good turn daily. Y'all know that, right? Yes, of course. Um, But salt of the earth, that idiom, that phrase, has its origin in this passage that we read today from the Gospel of Matthew. Where Jesus says to his disciples, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Jesus was explaining to his followers how he wanted them to behave in the world, how he wanted them to make a difference, to shine as an example to all the people around of how much God loved them and how much God loved the world. And so he explains this using three metaphors. First of all, salt and light and then also a city set on a hill. So let's talk about the first two of those, salt and light. What is salt for? In the ancient world, and even today, salt was an important preservative. Um, If you remember your your history lessons, uh, the, the colonists who came here on ships would carry things like salt pork with them. And most cultures have some version of a dish. I'm Norwegian by ancestry. We have a terrible dish called lutefisk, which is uh, fish that is dried, well, first of all, soaked in lye, and then dried and salted. It's making you hungry, isn't it? Um, 
Anyway, the point is that salt helped preserve the fish, as did the lye, and then you soak it to get the the lye back out because lye is, you know, poisonous, whatever. Um, Salt helps preserve the food. That's one of the very important pieces of salt in the ancient world because they didn't have refrigerators or freezers. And so if you wanted to preserve your meat, you did so with salt. That's why bacon is salty. That's also why it's so tasty, which is the second thing that salt does for us. Salt makes things tastier. So what does Jesus mean by talking about his disciples, his followers, as salt? Well, I think it has those two qualities in mind. First of all, as a preservative. In the Middle Ages, uh, one great example of this was the monastic houses, the monks and the nuns, uh, and the way that they preserved the Bible, but also great works of Western literature. They preserved knowledge for future generations because they were some of the few people that knew how to read and write. And so they would tirelessly copy by hand, because they didn't have printing presses, copy by hand these books and keep libraries and make sure that these books were well-maintained and that this knowledge could be distributed. So the monastic houses really served as a preserving agent in society. But Christians are also called to make things tasty. Now, you could do this with your culinary skills by cooking tasty meals for people. Certainly, hospitality is an important value and a a gift that some people have. Um, But you could also take this a little bit less literarily um, to talk about some of the ways that, that Christians have made life more enjoyable for people through the ages. There are so many ways... Uh, that, that works of art, works of music, and other things can make people's lives more enjoyable. And so you can think about some of the, the great artists over the centuries, people like Bach, people like Michelangelo, people like Handel, who have done so much to bring beauty into the world. And that's yet another thing, that it means to be salt in this world, not just preserving the world, but also bringing beauty into this world, making this world a better place to live. So that's salt, but Jesus also talks about light. What does light do? Light pierces the darkness. And so there are all kinds of ways that this world can be dark sometimes. And Jesus is calling Christians to pierce that darkness in his name. If we do another history lesson, we can turn back into the the early 300s. Um, And in that time, as in many times throughout the the early history of Western culture, there were plagues and there were famines. And in the midst of these plagues and famines, this was just before the Emperor Constantine really uh, fully took charge uh, over the the nation. It was still very much a a pagan world. And Eusebius of Caesarea, uh, one of the early Christian writers, writes a history of the church. And he said this about the time of the early 300s. He said, pestilence and famine destroyed whole families in a short time so that one could see two or three dead bodies carried out at once. Every day, some Christians continued caring for and burying the dead, for there were multitudes who had no one to care for them. Others collected in one place those who were afflicted by the famine throughout the entire city and gave bread to them all, so that the thing became noticed abroad among all men, and they glorified the God of the Christians. So Christians act in a very important way in this period of history by being some of the few who were actually willing to care for the sick, even at the risk of their own lives. Many Christians died as they were caring for the sick, 
but this was noticed among people, and they gave glory to the God of the Christians. Um, Today, there's an important health crisis going on uh, in Wuhan, China. I'm sure you're all aware of coronavirus and the the danger that's presenting to the world right now. Um, But there's a Wuhan pastor who recently wrote an anonymous letter, because it's illegal to be Christian in China, uh, encouraging the Christians of his city to be salt and light and asking Christians around the world to pray for them as they bear witness and pierce the darkness of this coronavirus in the midst of their city. We can also think about Christians like William Wilberforce, who were instrumental in ending the slave trade, and many other Christians who are still correcting injustice around the world today. But all of this talk about salt and light and doing good things uh, makes me want to pause for a second and just ask, why do we do good things? And why did Jesus ask his followers to do good things? I can think of four basic motives. Perhaps there's, there's others, but I think all the others would just be playing on these four basic motives. Um, and so the first is to earn favor with men and with God. The first reason for doing good is to earn favor with men, people, and with God. Because when we do good things, uh, sometimes it's out of a desire to please other people or to make other people like us, to make ourselves look good. When we uh, look at the, the Scout slogan again, when it says, do a good turn daily, I looked back at one of the old Scout handbooks And it had some very careful instruction, which was really a warning against this first motive for doing good. It said, do a good turn daily means looking for opportunities to help and then helping quietly and without boasting. Helping quietly and without boasting. Because this first motive for doing good is really a selfish reason for doing good. To do good to please others, to do good to make ourselves look good, uh, is really just a selfish motivation. It's for our gain, not for the help of others. And so it's really turning doing good on its head and doing good for ourselves rather than doing good for someone else. We may have the, the doing good for someone else as a byproduct of doing good for ourselves, but in the end, it's a selfish motive. And this is really not the best reason for doing good things. Connected to this is earning favor with God, which is a, a slightly better motive but it's based on false assumptions because God already loves you more than you can possibly imagine. And so there's really nothing that you could do that would make God love you any more than he already does. You also can't outweigh your bad deeds with good deeds. Uh, A lot of people today think, well, I want to be a good person. Uh, I want God to think of me as a good person. And so With that, we need to remember Jesus' words, who said, No one is good but God alone. Because all of us have sin in our hearts. All of us have turned away from God in some way. All of us are not following God as closely as we should, not following God's will for our lives. And so we're all so trapped in sin that only Jesus' sacrifice on the cross can overcome the badness within us. There's no amount of good that we can do that can outweigh the badness that's in us. And so to this, I want to read a passage from the letter to the Ephesians. This is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, where Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. 
not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So this, this takes the, the nature of good works and puts them in the right place. There's nothing that we can do in terms of good works that can earn favor with God, that can earn salvation, that can earn a place in heaven for us. Good works can't do that because there's nothing we can do that can outweigh the sin in our lives. But the good news is that Jesus has done the goodness for us. He is the good for us. And he sacrificed himself on the cross. His blood poured out for us, covers our sin, and makes us righteous before God. And so the things that we do as Christians are not to earn a place in heaven. They're not to earn favor with God. That's already been earned for us in what Jesus did for us. And so our place is to walk in the good works that God has prepared for us for the last two motives I'll speak about in just a second. But first I want to get to the second motive, which is a sense of obligation or duty. We do good because it's just the right thing to do. And this is a slightly better motive than doing good for selfish reasons or to earn favor with God, uh, because it's a, a more selfless, noble kind of a reason for doing good. But if that's your only motive for doing good, you're going to quickly get burned out. If the only reason you're, you're doing good is because it's the right thing to do, you're only going to get so far before you, you just can't do it anymore. You get burned out, you give up, you get, uh, you get you know, tired, worn out, you just can't do anymore. And in the end, this motive too is usually about justifying ourselves before God, trying to get God to think of us as good people. But as we've already said, Jesus is the one who makes us good. We can't make ourselves good. The third reason for doing good is out of thanksgiving to God for his grace. We talked about grace just a second ago in Ephesians. Uh, It is by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Grace is a gift. It's the gift of God's favor towards us, the favor that we can't earn because it is a gift. God doesn't want us to, to take pride in ourselves He doesn't want us to take pride in the fact that we've done enough good to earn his favor. He just pours that favor out lavishly upon us as a gift. In thanksgiving for that gift, then, we turn and we walk in the good things that he's prepared for us. God sets out good turns before us all the time, and if we open our eyes to see them, we can walk into those things that he's laid out before us and do good not to earn his favor, but in thanksgiving for the favor that he's already given us. In James's letter, uh, there's a, a famous passage that talks about the relationship between faith and works. And what James says about faith and works is this. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? If someone says, I'm a Christian, I have faith in God, but they don't, they don't do good things in their life. Can that faith save him? And then a little bit further, he says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. And James' response to this is, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. In the Bible, it talks about how when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us, it changes our hearts and turns us away from uh, what Paul calls the works of the flesh and starts to build up in us the fruit of the Spirit, which are things like love and joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and self-control. He says, against such things, there is no law. 
Everybody's going to look at these fruit of the Spirit and say, obviously, that's the right thing to do. That's what God wants to be coming out of our life. It's kind of like, have you ever been to a spring? I'm sure you've been to a spring. You're Boy Scouts. Um, we have springs all over the place in Florida. I was at a, a spring just a couple of weeks ago uh, down by Palatka. There's a little state park uh, that's focused on gardens, but it's got a big ravine down in the bottom. And through this ravine runs a stream. And if you follow the stream uh, upstream, you eventually get to this tiny little spring. And what you can see is these two little uh, springs bubbling out. Sometimes Florida springs are so big that you can't really see where the water is coming from. But here, it was such a tiny little shallow stream, you could see uh, the water bubbling right out of the ground. And that's what good works are like when we have God's spirit dwelling in us. Good works just sort of bubble up out of us. We can't help but have the fruit of the Spirit when the Spirit is operating in us. And so love, joy, peace, patience, all of them, it all just starts to bubble up out of us, and we become people who reflect God's glory. And that brings me to the last reason for doing good, and this is the reason that Jesus talks about in the gospel today, and that's to glorify God in the world and point the way to him. This is what Jesus talks about when he says... In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. So they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Many of you, uh, both from the church and from the scout troop, have helped us with the food giveaway program that we do here every month on the last Saturday of the month. And the thing I love about this is it, it finds that careful balance that Jesus is talking about between giving glory to God and doing good in the world. And so we're doing good by providing food for people's bellies, to feed them, to provide food for people who are are poor and in need. But at the same time, if you've never had a chance to come over to the church, I invite you to just come over and peek in here and see what happens on this side of the food giveaway. Because here we share the word of God with people, and then we walk around the room and pray for people in their time of need. Whatever it is, whether it's a health thing, whether it's a financial thing, we take the time to listen to people's stories and then offer prayer and the help of God to them. And so in the food giveaway, when we all work together on that, what we're doing is we're feeding both bellies as well as souls. It's one thing that I'm very proud about for this church. So what do we do with all this? Well, Jesus says, let your light shine. Let your light shine. The light that we shine is not the good things that we do. The light is Jesus. In another place in the Gospel of John, Jesus says this. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Is Jesus contradicting himself here? Absolutely not, because what he's showing us is that all the light, all the goodness in this world is God's light. And as Christians, we become conduits of that light. This is why Jesus also says, you are the light of the world, in addition to he being the light of the world. He's not contradicting himself. He's showing that when we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, we are supposed to be bearers of his light wherever we go. In my children's homeschool curriculum, it teaches about the moon in kindergarten, and it talks about how the moon doesn't have any light of its own. It just reflects the light of the sun. But if you've ever been out on a moonlit night when the full moon is out, you know how bright the moon can be. 
It's not the moon's light. It's the light of the sun reflecting off the moon. And that's the same thing that we are as Christians. We don't have any light of our own, but the light of Jesus reflects off of us and shines through us so that we can demonstrate Jesus' light to the world. One commentator on this passage says that Jesus' disciples have the kingdom life within them as a living testimony to those in the world who do not yet have that light. And our job is to pass that light on to other people. So look around you and consider how you can bring glory to God with your actions. Going back to that old scout manual from 1959 is when I found this. It said, uh, talking again about good turns, some good turns are big things like saving human life at the risk of losing your own or rescue work in floods, service in hurricane-stricken areas, helping to fight a forest fire, working with your local patrol in a conservation project, giving younger boys a good time in Cub Scouting by working as a den chief. But good turns more often are small things, thoughtful things, like helping a child cross the street, clearing trash off the highway, picking up broken glass from the street, telephoning the power company to report a live wire. And so as you think about being salt and light in the world, start to ask yourself these questions. Where can you add beauty and make this world a better place to live? Where can you shine light in the midst of darkness? How can you make someone's day just a little bit better? And how can you share the love of Jesus as you do it? Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus. We thank you for sending him into the world to take on our human flesh and live the life that none of us could live and die the death that all of us deserve so that we might be reconciled to you. We thank you for your grace, your love that you pour out upon us, your favor towards us. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to be filled with your Holy Spirit, that we might exhibit the fruit of the Spirit in this world, that we might shine like light in the darkness of this world, and that may pe- people may see our good works and give glory not to us, but to you, our Father in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a production of Good Samaritan Anglican Church in Middleburg, Florida. For more sermons, sermon notes, and information about our congregation, please visit www.goodsamaritananglican.org slash sermons. If this podcast has been helpful to you, please subscribe and leave us a review with your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening. God bless you.